Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. On this show, every week, we discuss a movie, and then one of our podcasters suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services, so you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. Today, I am joined by Brooke Merritt. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hi there. And Josh Dean. Hello. And today we're going to be discussing my suggestion, Trust. Uh, IMDb listed as 2010. It came out um, around us in 2011, uh, directed by David Schwimmer. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. I will start. My list is really short um, because I've been doing a bunch of work for uh, Cinemasochists and spending a lot of my time rewatching our recordings of bad movies that we've done and trying to get some of those prepped for live streams. And so um, apart from catching up on Perry Mason, um, which that episode was good and uh, the latest uh, installment of um, I'll be there in the dark, the HBO documentary on the golden state killer Um Really, only the only thing I've been consuming media-wise has been The Last of Us Part Two. Um, I am now about seventeen hours into the campaign, and I believe I'm, I'm approximately two thirds of the way through it. So that's kind of been it for me. <laughs> hmm. um, Alicia, how about you? What have you been watching? Well, I've also been watching All Begun in the Dark. I kind of uh, got in on that a couple of episodes in and have been watching that uh, pretty religiously as well as Perry Mason. Uh, we watched a little Back to the Future Part 3 this week, which it had been a while since I'd seen that. And I kind of like the Old West thing, but of course, there's nothing compares to the original on that. But um, the other big thing I started this week after some recommendations from some friends was the History Channel show Alone which I didn't realize is, I guess, now in its seventh season, but I just started the first season to get um, a feel for it. And uh, I like it. It's kind of my thing. It's It doesn't have quite as many commercials and um, uh, rundowns of what we already know and have seen recapped for ourselves every 10 minutes, like uh, The Curse of Oak Island. Uh, but uh, it's kind of got the feel of um, uh, Naked and Afraid, uh, that kind of a thing, all kind of a let's get more hardcore than Survivor. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that people essentially 10 individuals, which in season one are all men, but 10 individuals um, are, are left in different places, in this case in Vancouver. I'm not sure if it's different places for the other seasons. Maybe some of you guys have seen it, but they're left out there with uh, 10 essential items they could bring. I think they're allowed some other items that they all have, and it's essentially, you know, who's going to last the longest. Uh, who's gonna, you know, not tap out. And, and, uh, the first season people made it about 70 days or so. So it's, it's impressive. I don't know. I, I like it. I, I like watching the ingenuity of everybody and what they figure out and, and how to get food and keep warm and build shelters. And somebody made themselves like a ukulele or something. I don't know. <laughs> they have a lot of time. So I don't know if you guys check that out at all. No, I don't have the history no. channel. I noticed they have season six right now on uh, Netflix, but just season six. Yeah, I I honestly like there are very few reality style shows that I watch. Um, 
I know we've talked at length about 90 Day Fiance, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Alone is not one of the ones I've watched. Well, that's been pretty much it for me, just watching some of those episodes. and ca- We're kind of in the middle of um, some other fringe films we've been watching, but didn't quite finish them. So I think that's our big completion, along with the movie, of course, we're talking about today. Okay. Brooke? I took a couple weeks off from the podcast, so I've been watching a lot of TV, um, but I've narrowed it down to a few things. First off, the biggest excitement for me was the original Supermarket Sweep coming to Netflix, which mm-hmm. I watched all in one night, but <laughs> it was a sentimental yeah, favorite. It's pretty fantastic. Oh my God. So good. So good. I did not remember quite how good. It's amazing. Um, I'm, I can't remember if I've mentioned before Black Monday, but I'll mention it again because I caught up on that, um, if I did bring it up. On Showtime with Don Cheadle, Regina Hall, uh, Andrew, I don't Rennells, I'm probably saying that wrong, Paul Shear, Casey Wilson, Ken Marino. It's a ridiculous comedy. It takes place in the 80s. It's just spastic and absurd, uh, but laugh out loud funny. Uh, it's about the stock market in the 80s, great 80s costumes, uh, just just a really funny, stupid, funny show. Uh, How many seasons Again, are completely there? idiotic, but I think this is the second. I think okay. the second is about to wrap up, but it's, it's not a bad show. It's definitely worth a watch. Again, some of it's so silly and absurd, but that's what I like about it. Uh, I also watched second season of Dirty John, the Betty Broderick story, which is a case I remember from the 80s. Dirty John was based on a podcast, of course. Um, I did not like the first season of the show, which was based on the podcast. Second season's completely unrelated to that. Uh, It's Amanda Peet, Christian Slater, just really good. Um, Amanda Peet is really solid in it. Uh, Highly recommend that one. Uh, Short watch, I think there were maybe eight episodes. What was Don't the Dirty John story? I think I, wa- I think I listened to that one. Uh, the original was a woman marries a man who claims to be, I believe he was a surgeon. He was a doctor. Um, she had two daughters. Turns out there was a lot of gaslighting. There was a lot of manipulation, criminal activity. Uh, not to give anything away, but it didn't end well um, for John because of her daughter's. Um, they made a series of it. The first season was Connie Britton. Oh, uh, I can't remember the guy. He was, he was the Hulk once. Um, the one who's yeah. not Edward Norton or... <laughs> uh, uh, not Ferrino. Edward Norton. That one. Eric, yeah, Luper. No, he makes it great. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Eric, Eric Banya. Um, and it's Julia Garner from Ozark was in it as well. Uh, it's It was okay. It was good cast it didn't live up to the podcast for me but the second season um, completely nails it really good Uh, and then the last thing i've discovered the work of josh thomas who i was unfamiliar with Uh, he's an australian writer actor producer i think he even directed some of his his work i had been reading about the show everything's going to be okay which was from freeform uh, but was on Hulu. I was hearing a lot of good buzz about it. I turned it on, thought, all right, I'll watch it. Thought it seemed a little too family, sweet, sugary for me. So much more than I expected. Fell in love with it. Um, it's At its core, it's about a young man who uh, takes on his two half-sisters who he doesn't know really well, raising them when their father dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really uh, sounds schmaltzy, but it's totally not. It is just funny 
and enjoyable and sweet and a little snarky and it has a lot of adult content to it but it's delivered in a really um, really good way and so that drove me to see his other work which is Please Like Me which was on the Pivot Network that I remembered reading about years ago it came out in 2013 yeah same thing sweet funny uh, just just loved it I would watch pretty much anything he does I think I would highly recommend those two those two shows so he's like platform cancer basically them, then <laughs> yeah that's not a good sign it's not is he on Quibi now sign, but it's really <laughs> god I hope I hope not no he's good and everything's gonna be okay just had one season and it was renewed so there's there's hope oh is Freeform still a thing I think it is. Yeah, it's a brand new show. I mean, it's only had one okay. season, so I think Freeform's around still. Yeah, I think, isn't it what used to be ABC Family? Oh, that that's right. That's right. It's not a streaming platform. Yeah. Like, Yeah, I thought it was like another, like... The oh, s- no, no. It's the a soon network. To, soon to be released and soon to be forgotten Peacock. I'm just calling <laughs> no, that right yeah, now. Yeah, no kidding. It's free, free, free. Free for yeah. him, free for him. Yeah, but it's it is on Hulu, and it's um, the two the two girls who play um, the sisters he takes in. One is the youngest stand up comedian who's ever done um, multiple uh, comedy festivals, and then the other is an actress. She plays a character who is uh, on the autistic spectrum, and the actress herself is on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do such a great job with delicate topics such as consent and disabilities and sex positive stuff for teenagers. And it's just a great show. I could not rave about it more. And I don't rave about stuff that much. I'm probably overselling it. But oh, that sounds great. <laughs> Josh, how about you? I am. If I'm wrong, you can take me down for it. <laughs> <laughs> um so, gosh, I don't watch TV. I just realized, like, all you guys are TV watchers. I watch movies and then YouTube videos, but anything else, <laughs> no. Uh, so I saw three movies this past week. Um, uh, Palm Springs, the Hulu. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Sandberg. Most expensive purchase from Sundance. Yeah. Uh, what is that? I like it a lot. I'm, I like Lonely Island's comedy in general which is very hit or miss for a lot of people um i'm probably so, gonna watch it tonight it's actually okay. on my list uh, i enjoyed it mm-hmm. it made me laugh out loud several times um it's uh it's got our um road to perdition um alumni uh tyler hawklin in it yeah um, i liked pop star <laughs> which like nobody watched yeah but oh i love yeah. pop star right. yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. So it's not like as crazy as a Lonely Island stuff can usually get, but it's got enough of that flavor to make me pretty happy. Um, I watched Old Guard on Netflix, the um, based on a Greg Rucka comic book. um, Charlize Theron um, and uh, the guy whose name I can never pronounce right, Shoatel Ijeofor. Ijeofor, I think. Ijeofor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Get a tent. uh, yeah, I don't. I uh, I'll never get it right, but I'll keep I trying. Um, and I think that's what matters, right? Is the attempt. Um, it's uh, the action is really good. The dialogue is god awful. Um, <laughs> it's uh, like Rucka wrote his own adaptation, and right. what works on a comic book page does not work mm. in a movie. Um, so a little cringeworthy there. If you just want to see some 
you know, violence, it's worth a watch, probably. If Rob, um, Rob Liefeld tried to animate his own movie. <laughs> right. It, it was about as successful, <laughs> yeah. And I love Greg Rucka as a writer. Like, I love his comic books, but... You uh, mentioned Charlie's yeah, Theron. The um, has anyone else seen mm-hmm. the, like, uh, all the actors do the Princess Bride video? Yes, I was just thinking of that, actually, as Joss was <laughs> I talking. Watched that was it great. Oh, it's so good. I want to see it so bad. No, Josh, you haven't seen it yet either. There's two versions of it out there. There's one that's like every actor is in like five seconds of the movie and they just like quickly go through all of it. Um, And then there's another version that I found, um, which I, I think is the actual episode because it's like a Quibi uh, fundraiser thing. Um, But it's on YouTube because it's a fundraiser thing. And the longer version is just they draw out one particular scene with um, uh, Diego Luna as uh, Montoya and Jack mm-hmm. Black as the man in black. <laughs> um, it's not great, but the short, short version is really, really funny. Um, well, and I think it was a, it was Carl Reiner's last thing he recorded. I think also wasn't it? Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. That's but what I yes. read. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Was this a fundraiser Sorry. for Quibi, like to keep it afloat? Couldn't hear that, Josh. What was that again? <laughs> uh, was this a fundraiser for Quibi to keep no. it afloat? <laughs> Keeping <laughs> of soon to fail streaming services. <laughs> right. Um, the third thing I watched uh, was from another uh, deeply discussing alum, Jeremy Gardner, who mm-hmm. uh, did The Battery. Yeah, uh, he has a new movie or newish movie called After Midnight, um, and it's mumblecore horror uh, that's mainly about a man trying to accept responsibility in his life, but there's also a monster maybe trying to break into his house every night. So um, I, it was. It was exactly my cup of tea, but I could see most people hating it. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a very uh, you know um, watch at your own risk recommendation. But uh, <laughs> but I liked it a lot. Well, um, I suggested a movie. Um, we all watched it. It's called Trust. Um, I had seen it before um, on the episode where I suggested it. Uh, no one had seen it before. Josh Brooke, have you? Was this the first time for you? Uh, I had seen it. Okay, I saw it when it came out. I I, I had not. Okay, uh, Alicia, let's start with you. What did you think of Trust? Well, I kind of felt like when I was watching it, it was uh, part Lifetime movie with really good actors. Uh, And then kind of in the middle there, when Clive Owen starts to kind of have like a fantasy rampage in his head, I kind of felt like I was watching (laughs) old episodes of The Equalizer. I don't know if you guys are big Equalizer fans, Mm -hmm. but I felt a little Equalizer-y when he was in Dark Shadow with like a trench coat on in the street waiting for those pedophiles that are down the street. But but it it was fine. I... um, it, it. I wasn't loving a lot of the course details of what was happening after the girl meets up with Charlie, who she assumes is, well, I guess at the point that she met him, assumed he was a grad student. 
um, because you, of course, knew very early where it was going to go from the very beginning. Um, and then it just keeps getting worse and worse. And it's kind of, you know, when they're in the hotel room, it was just kind of tough to watch. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like it was a bit of a, a PSA about, uh, hey, parents that watch out what your kids are, are doing online, that those crazy chat rooms, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, there, I thought the acting was good. I was, to be honest, I was surprised at a lot of the actors who were in it. Um, you know, for, I don't know if this is David Schwimmer's, I haven't looked up much about it where this is in his directing career, but, um, Clive Owen, um, we had, uh, now of course I'm blanking out on names. Um, Catherine Keener. Yes, thank you. Catherine Keener. I was thinking about her and even the counselor. I was really Viola surprised Davis. to to see Viola Davis. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, there's Viola Davis. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of interesting. I don't think necessarily it, there were a lot of shockers. I think it was kind of playing out, you know, what every parent's worst nightmare would be with their kids online. I mean, it's, it's not an advertisement for the internet for sure. Um, and, uh, it's a lot of that stuff that, you know, we hear about and see, of course, in high school and, and stuff all the time. And, and the kids talk about and, and kind of the um, also at the end, kind of the viral bullying and stuff like that is, I think, become even bigger now these days. So, yeah, informative, but maybe not necessarily anything new, but good acting. Yeah. One of the things I wondered, because um, I had not seen it since um, 2011 when it was kind of available to me. I mean, this is almost a 10 year old movie. And a lot of it's based around technology. I wondered how much of it would would still be applicable, um, if right. not just relatable. Um, yeah. So I was curious. It's not how quite that would like watching. It's not quite like watching hackers, but you know, some of it with the chat rooms is a it's a little bit different thing now. Yeah, I watched hackers yesterday. That was one of the cinematicest ones <laughs> I'm working on. So um, that movie was outdated when it came out, but uh, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, Josh, how about you? Okay, so first, I agree with Alicia. Like the uh, uh, the look of the movies felt very Lifetime movie to me, like indifferently shot and lit. And I know I've got bad lighting right now, but I'm not in a movie right now either. Um, <laughs> it you can tell Schwimmer's an actor's director. Like lots of close ups, lots of medium shots. Get right up in there and watch people emote for the screen. Um, so, and in that regard, and with the cast, those were some good decisions, probably, because you got like a an all-star heavyweight cast uh, to get right up in their faces is probably a good idea. Um, after I watched it, it left a bad taste in my mouth, and I couldn't quite put my finger on why until today. I was thinking about it a lot. And um, first off, a little heavy-handed, like, the moment where Clive Owen realizes I help sexualize tweens. Oh my God. I, I thought they made that point like right at the beginning and I was like, Oh good. Just let that go. And uh, then he, he has like a, a panic yeah. attack. It's, it's yeah, news to him. Too. Yeah. But it's just like yeah, as an audience. So that's in the, so this is the problem I had with the overall movie. Uh, the first third of it, maybe half of it. We're in Annie's head basically as she's going through this trauma and then it shifts into Clive Owen's story about, you know, halfway through. Yeah. And I realized the point it's of his changes. character. Right. 
And he's the one with a character arc. Like, his daughter had to get raped for him to grow as a person. And that, I felt like, okay, the guy has taken over this story now. And it should have been the girl's story, I feel like, the whole time. So that left me... I was like, I get it. I get what they're trying to do. It's a very important message, and it's very, like Alicia said, PSA-type worthy. But it's obviously Clive Owen's story by the end, and I didn't like that choice so that's why it left me not entirely happy Brooke it's funny I also have on my notes that it was a little lifetimey um funny we all referenced that (laughs) but yeah it it did veer into lifetime territory a little bit um I think I liked it more when I saw it the first time I didn't dislike it um, I thought it's a little bit heavy-handed at times. Um, I don't like the revenge fantasy, fantasy flashes. I get the point, but I think it's distracting. Um, when it becomes Clive Owen's story, that's when it really loses me a little bit. Uh, when it came out, I actually had a stepdaughter who was a senior in high school. so And now most of my kids have graduated. So it was interesting to see how... Um, outdated that technology is and and how Mm. new those fears really were then because 2010 is a huge difference from then to now and that it was um, such a a scary thing then and it still is and now I'm like you know I have granddaughters who are on TikTok and the the threat is so much greater than it felt like then Um, so you know yeah it, it it holds up as far as that goes I I think I have a little bit of a I don't want to say sentimental turn with the movie, but I remember when it came out mm-hmm. um, that David Schwimmer was deeply involved in the Rape Foundation. And so to him, it was a passion project representing that. He didn't do great work. Um, performances are good. Catherine Keener plays a mom about as accurately as anybody. Um, but I think the fact that... I think I respect what he was trying to do because it was a... Um, an issue that was so important to him and that he was so involved in it's definitely not a fun movie really hard to watch i did have to cover my eyes turn my head a few times maybe cuss at the screen a few times but that was intentional and we should be feeling that way but um i mean it was it was fine overall uh it's just the the times have have grown so much since then and the fears are so much broader than they were 10 years ago yeah it's a lot easier to be that guy now than it was in 2010. That's true. So yeah, I mean, that was my initial concern uh, with you know with rewatching it would be, you know, has technology advanced to a point where this is quaint um, or, or silly or um, just understood kind of thing, you know. Um, my uh my my children are both tweens right now um but they were obviously you know little kids little little babies pretty much when the movie came out and so this was kind of a this was kind of a a father movie for me when it came out in 2011 (laughs) because um uh you know to to brooke's point about the sentimental side of it um for me watching it originally and I'll, I'll get into how my second viewing of it went, but my, my original um, read of the movie at the time was that it's kind of a movie that 
that parents really needed to watch um, to understand what was going on. There, there wasn't as much tech literacy in 2010, um, the understanding of all of that stuff. And then uh, the other part of it was that I, I really identified with um, and, and didn't, I'm going to contradict myself in a minute when I talk about watching it again. But at the time, I really uh, uh, identified with Clive Owen's character and that that sort of paternal rage instinct, um, that sort of blind to everything else in that situation, um, the, the sort of truth in that, um, I, not to go into a lot of detail or 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 get super um, personal about this, but um, I I was sexually assaulted when I was fourteen, and um, I remember my dad's reaction being pretty much the exact same thing, um, just complete rage and not like it's like I'm not even there or part of the equation. It's you know. Where is this guy? Where does he live? He's going to die. That sort of thing. Watching it again, what I found interesting was it's not so much that the technology has changed or that the the storyline has become antiquated, but how much um, how much awareness of of like women's issues, sexualization of minors, all of that stuff has become you know, post me too. And, and all these other things where when I watched the movie originally, I thought it was really clever the way that they kept, they kept interjecting in the beginning of the movie, like every shot, it, it, it fades from her to some scantily clad Abercrombie and Fitch model, you know, or the scene starts on one of those and it pans over and she's riding down the escalator and you're like, there's just this hypersexualization all around all the time that just blends in and nobody notices. It's like, well, in 2020, we notice, but in 2010, not so much. And so it was sort of this eye-opening thing for me as a father to watch and say, oh, like, this is really, it's really terrible that this guy, like, you know, works on this ad campaign and doesn't get that what he's doing is um, is also harmful to the society around his daughter that then predates on his daughter. Um, so that that was a very different thing to me. Um, I I kind of get what you guys are saying about a lifetime quality of it. I think a lot of the shot composition is really great. Um, I think a lot of there's. A couple of shots that I think were really cool. Um, I, I mentioned the thing about you know the the way that there's always some kind of hypersexualized thing going on in the beginning of the movie. Um, one thing that really stood out to me uh, watching it through this time was uh, she gets home. The daughter gets home from something. Uh, oh, uh, making the volleyball team. And the shot is of the staircase and like an empty hallway. And she walks up the stairs and her mom was like, how did it go? You're like scream from the other room and she's walking up the stairs, but you only see her from behind. And she's almost 
completely out of frame and she says, I made the team. Her mom's like, that's great. That's great. And then Catherine Keener like pushes herself in a rolling chair into frame down the hallway and says, Annie, Annie. Like, I thought that was just a really clever composition um, to put in there like that. Well, and it's reversed at the end with Clive Owen in the kitchen and her coming up the stairs and him yelling at her and her not acknowledging, but yeah. now for entirely different reasons. Yeah. Um, um, I think there were uh, there were some really bad acting scenes uh, on rewatching it. Um, I was much more <laughs> much more consumed by the story the first time around to really have um, a, an objective eye about that. Um, I think the daughter's worst scene is um, the one where she finally says, "Like he raped me." Like she's not she's not convincing in that scene. Um, she's not really crying. Like there's a bunch of stuff that's that's wrong there. Um, the scene where, uh, Catherine Keener and Clive Owen, like, have the fight on the table where he's, like, looking at all the papers and she throws them all on the floor. Like, that's not a great scene performance-wise. Um, and then there was some other, there was a Clive Owen scene that was, like, really hinky, too, that didn't, didn't quite work, but... I feel like a lot of that was the writing, though, too. Like, yeah. I feel like they didn't have a lot to work with on that table fight scene. Yeah. Um, there was another daughter one that stood out to me that was really, I think, more of a directing choice than a than an acting choice, where um, Clive Owen comes into her bedroom and she like she gets upset with him and starts like screaming, "Get out of my room!" And she screams, get out of my room. And he turns around and he walks out. And she hasn't said anything else besides get out of my room. It's like, well, being being a parent, how that real interaction would go would be the child would continue to scream until you were gone and the door was closed. (laughs) And, you know, those were just choices choices that they didn't they didn't make. So, but yeah, um. And she's, in a lot of ways, way, uh, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm sure that this was, you know, an issue of casting because of the subject matter, um, but uh, I, sometimes I had a hard time buying her emotional maturity being 14. Um, she just struck me as a lot more emotionally mature a lot of the time. Like, she held her own against... Um, her parents in a way that kids that age don't really, but maybe a 16 or 17 year old would, but I mean, not now I'm nitpicking like just (laughs) based on my knowledge of kids, but you know, um, Burke, what did you think of it on, on on review? I do agree with what you're saying, and I, I hadn't really thought about that. A lot of the um, the posters in the background and the you know the campaign he was working on, it was I felt like that was such an obvious like oh he's sexualizing, but I hadn't thought of it in terms of ten years ago that would have been a lot more subtle. You know that what you said about that I hadn't thought about that point until you just made it. Um, 
I mean, you know, I, I, I think I liked it a little bit better, like I said earlier the first time, but I do, um, it, it's just, it's hard to not, not compare it to how, how much worse it is now. I mean, mm-hmm. back then it was just, you might get in a chat room and now, you know, I'm in a position talking, you know, personally where I have my stepdaughter's children on TikTok and I'm like, you've got to get them off of that. Don't let them put those videos on there, you know, and I can't stop it. But now that's a much, we went from, oh, don't type a few words to somebody you don't know to here, go on this platform and take a video of yourself doing these dances that all these people are doing and post it where anybody can see it. Mm -hmm. Like we've come so Back then, it was kind of a shocking concept. Now it's just, well, of course. I mean, this is just, it's such a huge part of our conversations now. Um, Whereas then, it was a little bit more shocking and disturbing. And not saying it's not, I mean, of course, it's still terribly disturbing, but it's not new. Now it's just accepted that kids are putting themselves in these positions and I don't know. It just it was interesting to compare and contrast my feelings watching it ten years ago mm-hmm. to watching it now, and how much that has evolved as far as what's out there and how much easier it is for predators to to find these kids. Yeah, I have. So that's more how I viewed it. You know, within the last couple of weeks, even um, had a number of conversations with my ten-year-old um, son about how. Uh, you know, he uh, he got onto he started playing. He was playing Minecraft with his sister for a long time, and then I found out that he had like found some people online and joined a Discord server where he was talking to them and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you can't do that. Um, it's not just because I say so, it's actually the law. You can't do that. So I have to like talk through that with him. Um, you, uh, to have a Minecraft account, uh, to sign up for anything internet, you have to be at least 13 years old. Um, that's the law. And the reason for that is that, um, Congress had passed a law in the mid nineties uh, about how much, how much, and what kind of information you can collect on children, and so all of these online services, by design, collect information on children, and so they set the age of entry at thirteen, and from thirteen to seventeen, you can collect X, Y, and Z information, and then from eighteen forward, you can do whatever you want. Um, so, like if my son had bothered to read the the terms and conditions of Discord when he signed up um, with my name, by the way, um, <laughs> because he's using my <laughs> Minecraft account because he can't, he doesn't, isn't old enough to have one of those. So everyone knows him as D-Max on Minecraft. So that's what he was on Discord. And I was like, you know, you're not old enough and I'm not you. And so what you're doing online is, is really not okay. So, hmm. yeah, those yeah, conversations I mean, I were new then. This. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, you're fine. Um, those conversations were new ten years ago, and now it's just what you do. You just have those conversations. It's just natural part of aging and of parenting now. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I I can't see this from a parent point of view, so I'm seeing it from a very different, and for the first time after, like you guys said, the Me Too and the, this has all been, yeah, well-tread ground before, uh, I can only see it as a friend of multiple women who have been through this kind of experience, which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like that's an extra dimension um that maybe I would have gotten more out of it if I were a parent. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know so much about getting more out of it. I think it's I think it feels a lot more heavy-handed now than it did 10 years ago because a lot of what it talks about wasn't talked about in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the the safety online thing was becoming an issue, and that, that was something that people were talking about. But like I said, people weren't as tech-savvy. Parents certainly weren't as tech-savvy um, 10 years ago as they are now. You know, parents now are people that grew up with the Internet. So it's mm-hmm. it's a different uh, sort of different thing there. But yeah, more of the, uh, more of the uh, sexual objectification stuff, um, the sort of... Uh, pedophilic nature of um at the at the time i remember it feeling very much of a a commentary on abercrombie and fitch um because that was sort of their their thing was their models all looked like they were 15 years old so right american apparel was doing that too i think hollister so yeah that scene where like he figures it out you know, where the audience has already figured it out. Um, that was a much more striking scene and much less of a heavy handed thing in 2010. Um, I remember particularly like I knew he was going to figure it out, you know, from the beginning when I first watched it as well. But particularly um, the thing that that grosses him out and the thing that grosses me out the most about that scene still is the girl that comes up with the mojitos and you're just like, Oh no. Like it's one thing for it to be on, uh, on a poster, but it's another thing. Like you've got this really young looking model wearing underwear and serving drinks. And it's just like, this is so sexualized and so wrong. Um, and I think like, I don't know how uh, how you know. I did feel like um, Clive Owen's fantasies were a little ridiculous and heavy-handed this time around, but I think that's mm-hmm. just because I watched the movie before and I knew that they weren't going to turn out to be real. Um, mm-hmm. He does end up beating a guy that may or may not have been that pedophile <laughs> that he was stalking. Um, it seems like it is when he looks across the court but then when he goes over and beats him up he isn't or maybe he is because the guy just sort of takes it and is like yeah it's a misunderstanding (laughs) no big deal (laughs) i deserved it i deserved it yeah that was (laughs) kind of weird i wasn't here pedophile so it's okay (laughs) but yeah um i wonder has anybody watched the trailer for this because i didn't but I'm curious. I didn't before I watched it, and I'm trying to think if I ever saw a trailer for it. Um, I feel like this came and went, and very few people saw it. Um, mm-hmm. I saw it because it was uh, 
I believe like the 11th or 12th of Roger Ebert's top 20 of the year that year. Mm -hmm. It was really well reviewed, which is why I watched it. Yeah. It seems like, and and again, I'm just talking out of my ass because I haven't seen the trailer. It seems like those violent fantasy scenes would have been cut exactly for the trailer to make it look like a Clive Owen thriller instead of a family drama. Um, kind of like but a, I could be totally wrong. It's almost right. like a taken, like a domestic taken. Right. Dad's out for revenge. Yeah. Right. He which has I, a very specific set of skills. Which I feel like <laughs> that movie has certainly been made before um mm-hmm. the uh the rape revenge child to father uh transition movie. Um Oh sure. Cer- certainly certainly murder or rape murder revenge has been done. Um I don't know about like this like specific thing, but I think it's also right. kind of uh, one of the points in the movie's favor is that um, she she disassociates in that scene, um, mm. the scene that I'm sure Brooke was talking about when she was talking about covering her eyes and that sort of stuff. Uh, but they don't they don't really get into the specifics, you know, of what happened. And so what what plays out in his mind is a different version of events, um, you know, because he's, he's got it all a different way. And then after he reads what she was writing, he gets it a different way that he's playing it back in his head. Um, then there's his boss, Stan Beeman from The Americans, who's like, you know, oh, I thought she was, you know, raped. I didn't realize that, you know. Like I had a whole different thing in my head and he's like differentiating between like a stranger attacking someone and raping them versus uh, a, a date rape or a statutory rape. Um, but again, like in 2010, that was like interesting point. I never really thought about that in 2020. It's like, duh. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking. it's like did i lose i think you're right about a lot of the points you made um about the you know when it came out um i think a lot of stuff still rings true on it i mean i think about that as a teacher teaching high school students about you know the things that they are writing to each other that you have no idea that they would be talking about and i'm sure as a parent that would be a similar feeling like when they're reading the transcripts and stuff like that um i uh I kind of thought some of this stuff, I, I agree that in probably in 2010, uh, a lot of that stuff with the Abercrombie and Fitch style ads and showing the ads um, didn't seem, I, I like that they kind of had those ads in there, but I do think now it does seem a little heavy handed on stuff. Like when he goes out uh, to dinner with his colleague, Stan, you know, he, I don't know what his name is in the movie, but when they go out to the <laughs> steak place and, you know, they're talking, ooh, look at that waitress, she's hot or whatever, and she's really young and, mm-hmm. You know, kind of the the back and forth on that. I was like, oh god, this little cringeworthy right here. Just the the scene <laughs> and the acting and how blatant it was. Like, look, it's everywhere. Even his you know coworker is thinking it and stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, I so as a guy in my forties, like that shit is real. Like that shit happens yeah. all the time. Um, right. And um, you know, it's not like. Uh, it's not like 
people have it, it, certainly people have have shut a lot of that down um, post me too like post kind of um, waking up and being aware of that stuff but um, yeah all of that all of those things ring ring true to me or at least uh, rang true to me at some point in my life so yeah well what'd you guys think about that last little like home movie clip that's got the the pedophile guy kind of recording is what we presume is his wife and his son or whatever at a fair or whatever would you guys think of having that right at the end super creepy that his son's using the same camera that he used to record the incident um so that there's no it's got to be compartmentalization on his part where he doesn't see anything wrong with that um and yeah just the bum 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 of the whole thing where it's like he's still out there <laughs> and he's still on the prowl um and, uh, yeah i mean obviously just a yeah, kind of a downer note to end the whole thing on, but the whole thing's a downer, so oh, I yeah. understand. Yeah, I like they didn't tie it up with a bow, you know, and just like, okay, we caught him, problems over. I, I do like that they had the depressing, but the more realistic ending. Yeah, the last, mm. the actual last shot of the movie is him looking into camera. Um, so it mm. is very, you know. He's still out there. He's creepy. Um, but I also thought that um, uh, it was a nice way to deal with, you know, the unanswered question of like, you know, well, does they does the FBI find him? Do, do they not? Um, you know, how does all that go on? Uh, while also saying like, these guys are not like crazed psychopaths that you could identify in the street <laughs> this guy's like like i think he's a teacher is kind of what they're saying in mm -hmm. that like the there's a kid that walks up and like says hey this is mr so he's like a physics teacher mm -hmm. so like a high school mm -hmm. teacher um so it's like he's just like a family man in another town and you know he's and and that's very true of a lot of these uh a lot of these guys is like you know btk got caught because he made a disc at his church like you know uh the, the bad guys are all around you um i thought that was an interesting thing that also um brings up another like hanging thread that I always thought would be reincorporated into the movie at some point and never is. I think if they had stuck with, um, and I, I agree that the movie changes perspectives, but I think that's very mm -hmm. intentional. I think it's, I think the message is aimed at parents and not at kids. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I, I kind of forgotten about that shift, uh, before I watched it. I thought, I wonder if I should watch this with my 12 year old, daughter and talk about it and then when we got to the part where it changes to him i'm like no i don't want her to know like how <laughs> fucked up his reaction to this is or and be like scared that that's how i would react to something um but uh the if they had stuck with her i wonder if they would have done something with the video that he took that was the mm. other hanging thread for me of you know is that going to come back to get her at some point or come back to uh, terrorize the family again at some point. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I definitely think that switch was intentional. I just 
it it muted the impact for me just because I was sympathizing with the girl more than I was sympathizing with the father. Um, so it kind of took me out of the story I was in up until that point. Although it was all kind of, well, I mean, worth it. That last scene with Clive Owen uh, and the daughter, uh, that that got to me. I mean, I might have I squirted a few tears. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, that's why you hire a Clive Owen to sell that monologue at the end. Probably. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, his monologue at the end is, that's the thesis statement of the movie. Um, right. You know, his use of the word trust in there, that she had all of this confidence and trust that the world was a good place and a safe place for her, um, and that his job was to protect that and never see that go away, and that, you know, what's killing him is that she may have lost that. Mm. so i i really liked it um i have like no opinion on anything david schwimmer has done other than this um i was never a big fan of friends um and i don't know i think this is the only thing he's directed um to my knowledge it's the only thing i've watched that he's directed i think I will say one unfortunate thing that my mind couldn't help but do every time something really horrible happened, it would freeze frame in my mind. And then I'd hear no one told you life was going to be this way. (laughs) I was like, Oh Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. I've got problems. I wrote in my blog post about the, the watching the top 20 Ebert movies that there's a, video of him talking about the movie on imdb that's uh revealing about why he wanted to make it and kind of his impetus behind it um but i think it's kind of what we're all saying about it so yeah so this and gaslight and what was your other choice i feel like we've Uh, done at least three of your movies and they're all women being treated horribly but uh yeah. The care. other one was I I watched it but I had to skip out. Um what was the other one? It was it was insane. Uh, with Brad Dorif in it. Oh. Wasn't that your pick? Oh, wise wise blood. blood. Yeah, wasn't that Dale's too? Yeah, yeah okay. that was my that was the one before yeah. uh Gaslight. Yeah. Yeah. Um everybody's bad in that one, so that's fine. Everybody liked the separation. That was off the same list as trust, so you know. I told people on the last podcast that I was uh I was deciding between this, the court jester with Danny Kay, and Dancer in the Dark. And Oh god Aaron couldn't decide <laughs> Jesus. Aaron couldn't decide if he'd seen Dancer in the Dark or not, and we were trying to convince him that if he didn't know, he didn't see it. Right. See it. Um <laughs> but I wasn't gonna like exactly. I, I thought Dancer in the Dark would be um, the, the the timing would be absolutely wrong for that one for uh, for everyone with what else is going on and what's, what we're dealing with. So I didn't. Yes, this was thank a, you. such a bright shining light. Yeah, I didn't want a Lars von Trier one. He's he's all about we can't have nice things. That's that's his motto. <laughs> We can't have Bjork. <clears throat> he convinced her to be in a movie, and she'll never be in another one because of him. Wow. 
positively cheery compared to that. So thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Very yeah. true. I said. I also said last week that uh, Dancer in the Dark is uh, one of a handful of movies that I can think of that uh, always makes me cry. The final scene of that movie always mm. gets me. So, um, Brooke. I cry at almost anything these days. So, yeah. <laughs> the court jester probably would have broken me down, too. Angela Lansbury's so fucking hot. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, let's... Uh, the ravages of time. Gaslight now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. That's in a whole new light now. Um, um, Brooke, it is your turn to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch? Sadly, I did not choose a comedy, um, oh, although that's Brooke. probably what we need now. I know. I didn't know it was going to go quite this dark <laughs> discussing this movie. Is it a Lars von Trier um, film? But oh, please. It is. No, it's not. Um, it's <laughs> a simple plan. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds interesting. But yeah, that'll do it. Um, thanks, everybody, for discussing trust with me, um, the movie and the concept. And we will uh, see you on the next episode of the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.